So we're in 1 Corinthians 1, um, and I'm going to read this next, I'm going to read this section, verse uh, 9 through 13, and then I don't know how far we'll get. I just want, we're getting into this section that has to do with the nature and ground of our unity in Christ, or what that is, and um, so I thought I'd read this, 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 uh, chunk all at one time. So, God is faithful, verses verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you all be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that's a good translation there. Um, it's, uh, more literally, it's really just like perfected in the same mind and the same judgment um, is is really what that is. But um, there's I read some bad translations of that, you know. And, and just while I'm saying that, I, I read some really bad translations of some of the verses in here, and um, I just thought I'd tell you not not to be contentious, just to kind of to do you a favor. If some of you read from a uh, a paraphrase Bible version, um, and what a, by, by paraphrase I mean um, a, a Bible version where the translator has has tried to put into his own words the meaning of like sentences and phrases rather than translate the actual words kind of word for word. There's no perfect Bible translation, but there's some that are literal translations or attempted translations, and then there's others that are. Uh, paraphrases like the like the, the new international version NIV um, and or the or the new living uh, um, translation that's even worse. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not like a, trying to push like King James only or anything like that. I definitely don't think that's right. Uh, I think the New American Standard, the uh, New King James, King James, English Standard. There, there's some good translations out there, or you know, for the most part. But there's some the paraphrase ones. They're just honestly, they're not like even the NIV. You're just you're not doing yourself a favor by reading it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Where was I? Okay, so perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. You know, and, th- and this is wrongly translated in some, you know, things, in some translations, like have the same opinions or that kind of thing. And it just really ruins the whole, the, the, there's really important, the language here is very important, and, and Paul was very specific about it. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that those of Chloe's household Oh, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or you baptized in the name of Paul? <clears throat> yeah, okay. Well, last time we talked about this, it starts at verse 9, starts off, God is faithful. And we talked last, last time about how God is... God is faithful to what? Everyone everyone says God is faithful, but we talked last time about the fact that God is faithful to his own eternal purpose. He's faithful uh, to his own view of his own purpose. And 
And and the, when you're seeing clearly, when you're seeing with a little bit of the light of the Lord in your heart, you're you're exceedingly glad that that is the case. You want you want Him to be faithful to His purpose and not faithful uh, to our own many different uh, man-centered purposes for Him. We all have a whole bunch. Morning. We all have a whole bunch of. Um, uh, purposes, or, or we, we all start just like the Israelites did, with a whole bunch of expectations and purposes for God. We go out of Egypt, and and we He brings us into the way, the way that is Christ, and begins to try to teach us Christ, as He did with them in types and shadows. Christ the manna, Christ the water, Christ the serpent on the staff, Christ the high priest, Christ the mountain that you know, whatever. Christ that He He was revealing Christ. To them, and a whole bunch of uh, figures and symbols and shadows, and and and, but they have have their own expectations, their own purposes for God. They and they want, and their expectation is that God be faithful to their own purposes for Him, and He's, and He's not faithful to their carnal expectations. In fact, He's always uh, making them say things like, "Did you bring us out here to kill us? Why are you know? Wh- why aren't you coming through for us? You know." And, and that is really a, a perfect picture of how the natural m- mind and the natural man relates to God. So he, he's not faithful to that. And then I gave the analogy last time. It's kind of like if you have a kid that pretends like they're a, a cat and they, you know, comes downstairs in the morning and, and wants you to give it cat food and point it to the litter box and scratch behind its ears, you're not going to be faithful to the child's view of himself. You're going to be faithful to your view of the child. It would be absolutely foolish for a parent to be faithful to a child's understanding of himself. That's, in fact, the only way that the child really grows is by coming into conformity and alignment with the, with the parent's view of who the child is. And that's how the Lord is with us. He is faithful, ex- extremely faithful to his eternal purpose. He's faithful to his view and we experience his faithfulness by coming to live in his light, to walk in his light, and to be conformed to his image and to his purpose, and not by figuring out ways that we can manipulate God, which doesn't really work, but, it, but, but it's kind of what we think works. Manipulate God to, to, uh, to conform to our ideas and expectations. Or, or in the language of the... the uh, in the book of Exodus, form God according to our own uh, imaginations, which is what they did with the golden calf. So, so anyway, we talked about God's faithfulness and how it is. Many many people um, don't don't know or experience the faithfulness of God because of their expectations for Him to be faithful to something that they that that He He will never be faithful to, and that is the darkness working in our own hearts. Um, we also talked about the fellowship of the Son a little bit and how how that has to do with man's soul being joined to uh, joined to one son. You're coming into the, the fellowship of the Son. It's the Son's fellowship. And and you are joined to the, to one son by one spirit. You experience what he you 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 are given or experience in yourself what he has and what he is. He doesn't give you your own fellowship. He brings you into his fellowship. He doesn't give you a separate relationship with God, 
based on his work. He brings you into his finished work and gives you his relationship with his father, making you a co-heir, crying out in your heart by his spirit, Abba Father. And, and we talked a little bit about that too, and I don't want to get back in, into all that again, except just to t- say a little bit more about this word fellowship. Fellowship is a, is a really wonderful reality, and it's a, it's a word... It's one of those words that we just need to let the Lord redefine in our hearts in His own light. Because if, just like any other word that appears in the Bible, the first thing that we do when we come across a word is we we give it a definition. We either we almost always have a definition prepared. Something we've heard, something we've imagined, something we've read in a book somewhere. We come across a word and we, we just and we do we do it naturally with natural books too. I mean with with normal books too. You're reading a book, you look at the context, you kind of figure out what a word means. That's how kids learn vocabulary by reading books, you know? And it just that's just not that's that's not helpful when it comes to spiritual realities because what you fill in the blank with is always always going to be if it if it's from you or from another man if it's not the light of Christ shining in your heart bringing you to his seeing or his view of that reality then it is a lie it's not just wrong it's in the way because Words, spiritual words, don't define Christ. Christ gives definition to spiritual words. That's really essential to understand that. You can't just read these words and say righteous and loving and true and and say, oh yeah, that's what Christ is. No, it's the other. It, I know that sounds right, but that's not how it works. It's the other way around. You see Christ and then you understand love. You see Christ, you experience Christ shining by his own light in your heart. Then you can begin to understand what righteousness means. But if you just take the list of words and say, okay, now that I know these words that describe Christ and I, I, I've looked up their definition and strongs or whatever and I know what God's Christ is like, that's that's actually the opposite the opposite way of spiritual understanding. Christ is the def Christ is the thing that God was seeing before he invented the word that described him. And therefore to find the word's definition it has to be found in the one that the word came out of. Does that make sense? God saw his son and said it saw and appreciated and, and knew in this son is truth. And then he you know he gave this you know or or, or whatever, in, in Scripture, a word that we now translate to be truth. And and so, but that word truth, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and it means something very specific to God. And that, the, the meaning or the reality of the word that, that describes Christ is only found in the seeing of Christ. Okay? And, and that's important when it comes to fellowship, because fellowship is not Christians sharing anything of the earth, not sharing anything of, of you see, what I, what I mean by that is that we Christians usually talk about fellowship as a purely natural thing. We say it's spiritual, but it's 100% natural most of the time. It's Christians getting together and sharing things that are 100% natural. Man's, whether it's time and space, sharing a building, sharing a movie, sharing a pizza, or if it's just something that came out of man's or has its has its source and substance in man's mind, like sharing a theology or sharing a doctrine, sharing a personal interpretation. 
and we, we share these things that are not the life and light of Christ, and we call that fellowship. And then, of course, that fellowship is so easily, it's, so, it's such a fragile, it's such a weak and, and flimsy, fragile thing. It breaks constantly. It's kind of, it breaks just as soon, the fellowship breaks just as soon as you change your mind. You know, that's how, that's how fragile the, the fellowship is. It's just as soon as someone convinces you of another idea, there goes your fellowship with your church and with your pastor and with your friend and with your whatever. It, it's, it's a fellowship that's based on, again, I mean, I, most people come to the point where they realize that fellowship is, or at least the first thing I think you realize is that fellowship isn't Christians sharing the earth. I mean, it's not Christians coming together and having coffee and talking about, you know, politics or something. That's not fellowship. Putting two Christians in a room doesn't create fellowship. Putting two Christians in the same into the same church doesn't create fellowship. Having Christians in the same church, having all the same beliefs doesn't create fellowship. That's not fellowship either. That's like saying, and this is kind of gross, uh, but it, it's like saying if I if you put my arm and my foot and my nose in a bucket, that they have fellowship. And and they and they don't really have fellow. They're not experiencing fellowship. But then someone says, "Yeah, well, they're all together in the same place, you know." And let me tell you what. Let's just let's just tie them all together. Then then that'll have, that'll give. No, that's not fellowship. Let's paint them all the same color. You know, we'll paint them all blue. That now they're in the same place and they're tied together and and they're all the same color. There's fellowship. No, that's not fellowship. Okay, let's warm them up to the same temperature. You know, and you just you do all these things to try to create some sense of unity between them. It's all my body parts in a bucket and uh, all the same color, all the same place, tied together, same temperature. That's got to be fellowship. That's not fellowship. Why? Because the thing that gives fellowship is the sharing of one life. The sharing of one, in, in, the, in the case of my body, it's the sharing of one blood, one life. That, that is the thing that gives the parts fellowship. In the, in the case of the, the body of Christ, it's not putting a bunch of his body parts in the same room. It's experiencing the one life, the one spirit, the one light, the one mind. And apart from all of that, apart from that, it doesn't, everything else is extremely fragile and 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 fake and christians have been maybe even well-meaning christians have tried to create uh, a unity based on bringing something together besides souls being baptized into the death of christ and living in the life of christ that's the only way if you want to create unity we're going to get into this a little bit because paul talks about coming to the same judgment coming to the same mind the only way to create fellowship and union in the body of christ is to take all of the flesh put it into the same death kill it all raise up one new man one new spirit one faith one light one father one 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 living spiritual Zion city and open the eyes of those who live in it to see Christ as the thing that they share. And, and, and apart from that, what Christians are trying to do, or they're trying to bring, if they're even trying to do this, most I don't think are, but they're trying to bring uh, a, a false unity based on 
um, concepts based on beliefs. Like if we can just all believe these 12 really important things, then we'll have unity. No, you won't. Not, no, you, you won't at all. Those things, as a list of beliefs, exist in minds. And not only do, do they exist only externally from one another in different minds as different ideas, but everyone has a different concept of, associated with each one of those different beliefs. Different things that they have, that different meanings and different understandings of what those things even mean. That's not true fellowship. It's not, it's not about denominations, finding points in common, or coming together for an interdenominational picnic, or something like that. That's not, that doesn't really do it. There is no, let me just say this as strongly as I can, there is no true unity in the natural man. There is a, there's a false unity. There is a coming together of many for the individual purposes of the many parts. Do you know what I mean by that? It's, there's the coming together of many, which, and, and the, the reason that we oftentimes gather together in the flesh is because there is personal, individual benefit for the one. Exactly. That's what I, the Tower of Babel, whoever just wrote that. That's exactly what they did at the Tower of Babel. Let us come together and make a name for ourselves. Let us make a tower that goes up to the heavens. Let's unite in the flesh and we will be great. And, and, and it's a false unity. It's a unity that actually, it's, it's not even unity. It's really just, it's a common goal in the flesh. But the desire motivating each heart is the glory and the good of the one. And so God, that, that God scattered that. God brought confusion. It always, it always, man un, trying to unite in the flesh is always for the purposes of the flesh. And it always gets scattered. It always comes to nothing. Always blows away like, like dead grass. It just, it cannot truly unite. There's nothing in one fallen Adamic man that can unite to another. Until that, until both of those men are put into the same judgment and come and raised up out of that judgment to see in a new light and live by a new mind. Then fellowship becomes not a word, it becomes an experience. So, I, I think that uh, you, you're going you're gonna, to, you probably already have many times, experienced people that are really into trying to bring unity to the body of Christ. And, and, and I'm all for unity in the body of Christ. I think that that is a, 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 an amazing and wonderful reality. But you can't have it in external fellowship based on proximity of bodies, beliefs in, in brains, concepts and ideas. It has to be sharing the same spirit, just like the body parts in the bucket. The, the, the fellowship is the same life flowing through the veins. That's the fellowship that is in Christ as well. It is the same spirit flowing through the same spiritual veins, flowing through the soul. And anything else, wait six months, wait, wait six minutes, and it'll change. So, in this, uh, in this thing here that we just read, there's divisions among them. They're experiencing uh, divisions. Some are saying, I'm of Paul. Some are saying, I'm of Peter. Some are saying, I'm of Apollos, whatever. What does Paul do to rectify this problem? Does he, does he remind them of the 12 
principal cardinal doctrines and say, look, does everyone get on the same page about this thing? You know, does he do that? Does he tell them to be nicer to each other? You know, get together, talk it out. You can do this, work this out, you know, give a little, take a little. Does he do that? That's what we do. Uh, No. He pleads with them to find their unity in one mind and one judgment. That is, and that's the only thing he can do. He pleads with them to know the unity that's in it. That's not that, and that's why I really don't like some translations here because it's not to all have the same opinion or to all agree. As you know, come together and try to disagree. It's not. That's not what the word. That's not what the Greek says. That's not what the reality is. You come to find unity in one mind and one judgment, and in reality, the one mind comes is the product of the one judgment. It's not their minds all having the same opinion. It's their their minds are part of what gets judged. It's their their personal judgments are not the one judgment that they're supposed to be coming to. Do you see? The unity is only found. That's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to say to you guys. Is that the unity is only found by man being put to death in this one great judgment of all flesh. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible judgment. It's a judgment of all that man brings to the table, all that man thinks, all of man's opinions, all of man's knowledge, all of that going into one incredibly huge judgment, and then the one mind of Christ then being the mind, let this mind be in you, being the mind... That, that then begins to reign in each individual, that one mind reigning in many. Not many coming to the same opinion, but one mind reigning and, and seeing and knowing and, and understanding in every individual heart. And to, to know that, see that's why the cross is the way that that... The only way that that could ever possibly happen in our hearts. All are crucified in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit and then are, and then grow in this mind, grow in this light, grow in the mind of Christ. Second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so, uh, even all of our ideas about unity, all of our ideas about fellowship, they all go into that death too. You can't keep a single one of them. Every one of them is, again, it's not just wrong. It's in the way. It's of a different nature. It glorifies a different man. You have to, that has to be put into the death of Christ. All of our, all of our thoughts, they have no place in Christ's mind. They are an unclean thing. They come, they're just like the book of Leviticus. Everything that comes out of man's flesh makes him unclean. Every single thing. If someone says, well, well, this is totally a natural bodily function. I don't care. Get out of the camp, wash yourself with the death of Christ, and then bring your sin offering. I mean, that's the way he dealt with all, you know, someone has some kind of emission or fluid or whatever, blood or whatever, you know, someone says, look, it's it's perfectly natural, it happens to everybody. It, It makes you unclean. If it came out of you, you're unclean. Go outside the camp, wash yourself with the death of Christ. What do I mean by that? I mean... I mean, that's exactly what they had to do. They always had to wash themselves with some picture of the death of Christ, whether it was the the, uh, the ashes of the red heifer mixed with water. That was one of the ways that they washed the uncleanliness or the uncleanness off of them. 
In another instance with leprosy, it was the uh, it was the dead bird. Uh, you remember the dead bird in the pot and the, and the sprinkling of the water mixed with the blood and the and it didn't didn't it probably wasn't naturally very clean looking. You know, I bet you after you took a bath with that stuff, you'd probably want to take another bath. But the point is, the way to get something that came from your flesh off of you in the types and shadows of the Old Covenant was to apply the death of Christ to it, to bring it into the death of Christ. To the only That's what washing with the blood of the Lamb is all about. You, you can't get clean unless you get dead. You can't, the, the thing that's making you unclean is you. I know that sounds kind of strong, but it's true. You need to wash, the, the thing that Christ is washing away from you, the thing that Christ is scrubbing out of his own body is whatever comes out of your flesh. Now, that's what happens in the book of Leviticus. God cleans his body by removing from it Every single thing that comes out of the flesh, everything that grows on the flesh, everything that spreads from flesh to flesh. That's what that chapter is about. That ch- I mean, the, that, that book is about. It is not about hygiene. And I know maybe there's some hy- hygienal benefits to it or whatever. I, I'm sure there were. Christians read that book and say, oh, look, God was really concerned about hygiene. He didn't want them to get, you know, uh, whatever you get when you're not clean, you know, different kinds of diseases. That's not the, the book isn't about natural hygiene. The book is painting a picture of this spiritual body. And in this spiritual body, he has brought many to live. But they have to, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. He brings many in to live by one. But the many, just like us, continue to try to add to the one things that come out from themselves. And those are the things that make the body unclean. Those are the things that he says, whoa, 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 that came out from you. That's unclean. Get out of the camp. Wash yourself with the death of Christ and then offer a sin offering. Someone says, well, I didn't even sin. I just bled. That needs a sin offering. I didn't even sin. I just had a whatever kind of, you know, secretion or something. That, that, you're unclean. It came out from you. Wash yourself with the death of Christ. Offer your sin offering and come back in the camp. That's what the Lord does. And so, in order to experience the fellowship of the camp, the fellowship of the one body, you, you experience the fellowship of the one body according to the measure that you are circumcised from that body. See, he's not trying to clean you. He's not trying to clean you up. He's trying to clean you off of his body. You know, it's not it's like... Uh, it's like if you had a tumor, you don't to try to just like clean the tumor, like rub the tumor. You try to clean the tumor off of your body. You try to clean your body from the tumor. You see, that's what the judgment is. The judgment is the removal of what grows. That's what the priest had to do. He had to go to every single... And I know these, these chapters... Uh, some of you, I know people at MSF are doing the one-year Bible thing right now, and they're reading through Leviticus, and some some, some saying that it's really boring. But it's it's not boring... If you understand that the high priest is going around looking, examining every little tiny thing in Israel, every little scab, every little hair, every little growth, and what is he doing with it? He's examining it to see whether it is something that grows and spreads in the flesh. And if it is, if it's something that can live in the flesh, 
and have a life of its own and spread in the camp, it is cut off. He cleanses it. He cleanses, he cleanses the body from the things that come from the flesh. And that is, it, it, the whole, I mean, there's so many testimonies of this. I just, but what popped in my head right there is um, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Sir, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you can love the Lord your God and live. What does that mean? He has to cut off from your heart one man so that you can experience another man. If you don't, if you continue to try to relate in the flesh, live by the flesh, you cannot love the Lord your God. You cannot love your brother as yourself. You cannot. That nature does not do it. That's the nature that has to be cut off for you to find fellowship, for you to find unity. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For the love of Christ compels us, this is verse 14, The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, or because we have come to this judgment. And it's not, uh, some again, the translation is important here, because some, some translations say because we've come to this opinion, or because this is our attitude. And that's, that's, that's so not, if you take the word judgment out of this verse, you take everything out of it. The love of Christ compelled Paul because he had found a judgment. What's the judgment? He says it right after this. One died for all, then all died. That's the judgment. Because we've come to this judgment, what's the judgment, Paul? Here's the judgment. It's the death of all in the death of one. And if he died for all, then those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who lived, who died and rose uh, for them again, and, and again, that four is really not even there either. It's really those. This is a, again. This is something you can look up in like the Lit V or an interlinear Bible if you want to. But it really reads that those who live should no longer live themselves, but Him who died for them and rose again. The the preposition four is not not in the in the Greek. And and so what's he saying? He's saying, look, there is something constraining me. There's something living in me. There's something working in me. What, what is that? It is the love of Christ. It's constraining me. Why is that love, why is His love working in you? Because there's been a judgment of the other love. Because, because there's been a judgment of the man who cannot love. Because I've come to see and experience a judgment that when, that when one died, all died in him. And that he is now the life of all who live. And therefore, verse 16, from now on we regard no one according to what God has put away. We regard no one according to the flesh. That's not the place that we relate in. That's not the thing that connects us. That's not the reality of our relationship. That's not where we find fellowship. We don't find fellowship in the thing that God has circumcised. You don't find fellowship in the flesh that he cuts off. You find fellowship in the thing that he raises up from among the dead and sets in the center of his tabernacle. Even Jesus Christ, the living one, the one in whom we live and move and find our fellowship. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The fellowship isn't in the things that have passed away. And so you have to ask yourself this question. How can the love of Christ constrain? It constrains only when 
the man who cannot love is circumcised from the heart. It constrains when the many enter into the same judgment. And what is the judgment? It is the death of all in the death of one. It is the gathering up of everyone's flesh, including all of their fleshly ideas about unity, fleshly attempts to come together to unify themselves in the thing that God has cut off. All of that put away. And finding life, finding peace, finding the absence of enmity in the one new man. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. He took the Jew, he took the Greek. He took the barbarian, the Scythian, he took the male, the female. He, he put them all into the same pot and crucified it in his son. He took every, he took all the flesh. He took the Canadian, he took the American, he took the Costa Rican. He put them all into the same death. They were judged at the door. They were removed before even entering in. And therefore, the fellowship has to be found. Not in what is old, but in what is new. The fellowship isn't in Adam. It's not in Adam's theology. It's not in Adam's five points of Calvinism. It's not in Adam's activities. It's not in Adam's picnics. It's not in Adam. It's not there. The fellowship is in all things being made new. And Christ is... The newness of it. That's why Paul says here, in order to deal with the division in the body, he says things like, is Christ divided? That's the question. Is the one life of Christ divided? I know that the flesh and all of its many features and ideas and and expressions and lusts and, and opinions is very divided. It cannot unite. But is Christ divided? And are you in Christ? Does Christ have two minds? Does Christ have two opinions? Does Christ have two camps? Does Christ have two spirits? Does Christ have two anything? Or did he take the two, crucify them both in one body, and raise up one new man, thus establishing peace? Ephesians chapter 2. That's what he did. In Christ there is only one Mind and there is one judgment. And everyone that wants to live by that one mind has to come into that one judgment. Apart from that judgment working in your heart, apart from that, that incredible judgment of all flesh, now the Son of Man is lit, now the Prince of this world is cast out, the Son of Man, now how does it go? Now is the judgment of the world. And the prince of this world is cast out. And if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That death that draws all men unto himself, that death that crucifies the many, all of his imaginations, and brings out of that death one new man, one new light. And if you don't have that light, friends, if you don't see by that light the light that is of the new, the light that is in the new, then you're only seeing by your own ideas and imaginations and concepts. And you're being blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. This sounds better than that. I think I'm going to change my doctrine. That, Well, you know what? That's a new take on that. I think that sounds better than the last thing I believed. You know, Have you heard of this new book? It's got a really cool take on church unity or church this or spiritual that or whatever. You know, If you don't read this book, I don't think you're going to be up to date with what the Lord's showing his book. Bo- Hogwash. 
there is one light, there is one mind, the only place you get it, the only place you find it, is in the one new man. It's, it's, not, it's not ideas. It's not concepts. It's not theologies. It's the light of Jesus Christ shining in the soul of man. And if you don't have that, you have nothing. If you don't have... I just thought of this, uh, this guy one time. I, I, I was sharing at a, at a church a couple of years ago. Uh, and someone came up to me afterwards and said... I don't remember what I was even talking about, but someone came up to me and said that I wasn't uh, giving the the Bible its its full importance because, and he said just just like this, he said I would know nothing about God if I hadn't read it in this book. And my heart just sunk when he said that because I just I, I just wanted to say, well, then you know nothing about God. You don't know God. You've only read about Him. You've only read a testimony of Him. I believe that the Bible is. The, the infallible word of God, all 66 books and every word as it was written. I believe it is a perfect testimony, but that's what it is. It's a testimony. It's, if, you've only, if all you know of God is what you've read in a book, then you've read a testimony. And you don't know the Lord. That, that should, if, if, if that strikes you as, uh, as a strong statement, I, I give it to you and ask you to consider it. I ask you to take it to the Lord. Don't take my word on it. Take it to the Lord. Bring, bring that to the Lord. Have you seen with his mind? Are you seeing with his mind? Are you seeing by a different light? A light that is a, the light that is a judgment. A light that judges everything that ever came out of you and calls it unclean. Have you seen with that light? Is that the light that shines in your heart? Does it show you that every... Does the light that's shining in your heart show you that what you formerly called light was darkness? Is that the light that you know? That's the light Jesus told people about. Is it a light that shows you that every one of your ideas is out from a different man and for the glory of that man? Has that light confronted you? Are you seeing in that light? Are you reading the testimony? Are you reading this with that light? Because if you are, it's testifying to you of a wrong man. Have you seen that all of your ideas, all of your theologies, all of your concepts are judged in that one judgment? They don't enter into Christ any more than leprosy could enter into the body of Christ in the Old Covenant. The Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Are you even willing to see that? I, I, I'm asking you seriously. And I, I ask myself this every day. I, I don't disqualify myself from this at all. I ask myself this many times a day. Are you even willing to see? Do, do, you, do you value your understanding of the Bible? Do you, under, do you value your wisdom? Do you value your scripture knowledge? Do you, value, do you think that you've collected a lot of uh, spiritual wisdom over the years? Well, woe to you. If, if your wisdom isn't a present view in the light of the Lord, woe to you. I mean it. If it's not a living view in the light, in the mind of Christ working in your heart, if it's not His mind at work in you, if it's not His understanding putting yours to death, 
If it's not His Spirit shining in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, then it is something very unclean. Man must die to his own wisdom, to his own mind, to his own judgment, to his own theology. All of it is a filthy garment rejected by God. But there is a light, there is a truth that God gives to the soul and shines in the soul to the displacement and removal of all of man's everything. Man's righteousness, man's understanding, man's doctrine, man's everything. And we need to see by that light. And in that light, we have fellowship. That's what John says. That's what John says. He says it really clearly. If you want to know where the fellowship is, it's in the light. That, that's, let me find it here, First John. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, <clears throat> that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message that we've heard from Him. And we declare to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all leprosy. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all flesh. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He is the one keeping it out of the camp. He's the one keeping it out of the fellowship. He's the one keeping it out of me. So that I can share with you something that is real, something that is alive, something that is true fellowship. That's what Paul does with these Corinthians. He sees that they're carnal, he sees that they're divided, and he doesn't just remind them of the, he doesn't just give them the so-called Apostles' Creed and tell them to get together and talk about it. He doesn't just give them, you know, a new letter and say, you know, memorize this book, this letter of mine, and and then you'll under, then you'll finally have unity. What does he do? He says there is a there's a judgment and th- that that brings you to one mind. It's gonna is, is Christ divided? That's what he says. Is 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 there is there more than one light in the mind of Christ? Is there more than one view? He brings them together into that. He doesn't bring them unity in the flesh. He doesn't offer that to them. Oops, I'm running out of time. Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth. He said that. People sometimes look at me like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm saying something strange when I say that Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth. They say, wait, he's the Prince of Peace. Yeah, he is. He's the Prince of Peace with God in his own spirit and peace among the seed that share his spirit. He's not the, he doesn't bring peace in the flesh. He couldn't have said it more plainly than when he said, I did not come to bring peace on earth. He, that's exactly how he said it. I didn't come to bring peace on earth. In fact, I came to brought division. So that man will be again, you know, father against son and mother against daughter and mother, whatever against mother-in-law and, and, and cousin against whatever. He says, he just gives a bunch of examples. He didn't come to bring peace in the flesh. He came to bring peace by bringing freedom from the flesh. The peace isn't in 
man. The peace is the freedom from man. It's not a it's not a tower of Babel peace in the flesh without judgment. It's a peace that comes by being baptized into the one judgment, being raised up in the one new life and having your eyes opened to live in and share all that is new, old things having passed away, behold, all things are new in him. That's where the peace is. And indeed, he is the Prince of Peace. And having experienced and touched and felt and and, and loved that peace, you'll understand that any kind of peace on earth that is not the peace that reigns in the soul by the one new man is a false peace. All right, I'll stop with that.